Hey everyone, welcome to episode 148 of the MTG Grandcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. I'm Chris Caster-Rappel, with me, not as always, but back, oh! Collins, you're back. Ugh, my streak. I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm back. It's good to be back. That Those were, those two episodes were the first and second episodes that didn't include both of us. Yes. In them. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. 145? Yes. So... All right. Yeah, I'll take on. It's a pretty solid streak. It's almost three years. <laughs> you know, we, we we took a week off here or there, but every episode yeah, yeah. that came out was mm-hmm. Chris and Collins. So. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be back, but sometimes you just gotta take some time. Yeah, I mean that's totally fair. Yeah. So today we are going to talk about. You know, we got a standard and historic ban. Mm-hmm. We got a companion nerf. Yep. We had a legacy tournament. The results of which are. I don't know. I don't know how important they are, but at, at this well, point, the results are kind of sweet. Yeah, there, but we'll talk, talk about, about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but we don't want to just go straight into magic stuff because there are way bigger things to talk about. And I think it is the responsibility of anybody with a platform to talk about the protests that have been happening and talk about the problems of systemic violence and uh, you know internalized racism and the things that have led up to what we're seeing today and just kind mm-hmm. of give our responses to it and raise up some of those concerns and, and make sure that, you know, they're being presented to everybody who who may have missed any of them anywhere. <laughs> Hard to miss, but yeah, I, I would feel like I've abrogated my responsibility if we don't talk about it yeah. at all. Yeah, I, I do think that we have that responsibility to at least bring it to light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to go over any of the facts of like what has led up to this, but certainly a lot of protesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I saw all 50 states have had a major protest. Yeah. The police response to the protests seems to be pretty universally, you know, fascists in jackboots almost. Yeah. Um, it's, it's frightening to see mm-hmm. just that the response to police are too violent is like, well, we'll show you violence, <laughs> and it's it's unreal. It's pretty terrifying, to be honest. And it's definitely a wake-up call to some of the real consequences that the decisions that have been made in America. And this reminds me, uh, like, you know, we're not the first country to have uh, this kind of police violence, but the fact that it has a lot of racist undertones is very apparent in our country. You know, it's reminding me of, like, the Hong Kong mm-hmm. protests a lot, and... It, you know, it seems to be like the police violence is, is very real. And, you know, we've been seeing on all of our social media outlets just very, very clear evidence of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Capital's use of the police to exert control over the populace and protect capital is kind of universal a- among many countries. Right. Uh, in America, it is very specifically... American racism obviously has its forms that it takes all over the world. In America, anti-black racism has a very like specific American. It, there's a specifically American way that we do racism against black people, basically. Yeah. Um, that has its roots in obviously slavery and just the fact that we have never been able to heal the wounds and we have never been able to give black people back everything that was taken from them Mm -hmm. and continues to be taken from them constantly and so a lot of what's happening with these protests is 
a response to that frustration of things that just kind of never change. Uh, and, right. and we we definitely have seen protests in response to police violence against black people in the past. I, and and I, I don't know. This feels different in the moment, and I hope it is, and I hope it's bigger. And I, I saw that, you know, Minnesota is it has started a program of uh, like a deep investigation into the Minneapolis police department for issues of systemic racism and, you know, uh, the like toxic, violent culture of policing. And so maybe that is a harbinger of good things to come. But, you know, a lot of times these things happen, they stick around for a little while, they get a lot of attention, and then we just go back to the status quo afterward. And I really hope that that is not what happens after this. I agree. And, you know, this is kind of having me think back to an experience I had not too long ago, mm-hmm. maybe a couple of weeks ago, um, that, you know, like I'm a white male in America and I have a, an extraordinary amount of privilege and I don't get to like I hear about racism all the time, but I don't experience it like black people do mm-hmm. and brown people do. Right. But I did have an experience recently with my friend Zan that just kind of, you know, I'm going to be thinking about it a lot because it was kind of like my first like real world experience with it. Mm-hmm. I went on a bike ride with Zan and we were uh, like about seven miles out from the house and my back tire blew and, you know, Zan was ahead of me. So he kind of like kept going and didn't see me. And I like, you know, pulled off and took a look at things and then eventually called Zan and was like, hey, dude, just want to let you know. Not with you anymore. <laughs> Not with you anymore. Um, and he was like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll come back and help you out. <clears throat> and after I made that phone call, this guy, like, stops and gets off his bike. And he's like this, you know, maybe like mid-40s, like stocky white guy. And he, like, is clearly a cyclist. And he knows bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, that looks like a flat tire. And he, like, you know, pops off his bike and he's super friendly to me. You know, I didn't, like, see a lot on his bike to, like, have stuff, but he just, like, started whipping things out of this little pouch, mm-hmm. like it was a Mary Poppins bag, and he had, like, canisters that could pump up a tire, and he was doing all this stuff, and, you know, we were we were hitting off, and, and I was like, wow, this is awesome, this guy's, like, helping me out, and then Zan got back, and this guy's attitude just completely changed. Wow. Just stunningly, and all, you know, and I, Zan is a sweetheart. And, you know, he's coming back and he's big smiles and I'm like, hey, this is my buddy Zan. You know, we've been biking together and, you know, Zan was being friendly, but, but this guy was just, yeah, he terrified. He clammed. Oh, he was geez. like, well, I mean, he clammed, he clammed up yeah. and, you know, couldn't really interact with Zan and like very quickly said, sorry, I can't help you anymore. And packed up his stuff and left. Huh. And I, I was just like, whoa. Yeah, I, you know, that's so disheartening. I've never experienced anything like that. Yeah. And, you know, and I suspect that I probably won't experience something like that. But if you're a person of color in this country, you experience stuff like that every time you go out of the house. Yeah. You're just running into people who just have this animosity towards you. And that I just can't, you know, I am Hispanic. But I pass as extremely white. And for all intents and purposes, like, I just have 100% of the white male privilege that you can have. Right. So I I don't experience that racism either. I know my mother has experienced a significant amount of it. And 
you know, like she, she's a teacher and at the hands of parents who don't trust her expertise don't and, you know, defer to the younger, less experienced male white teacher in the room over her. And even though, you know, she's mentoring that teacher, that sort of thing, the, these sorts of just, you know, racism is not putting on a hood and marching in a KKK rally. Like it is just the way that people treat other people and like how emotionally exhausting is it to deal with that all the time, like every day. I, I just can't, it's so, I obviously can't un, uh, truly understand it because it's not something that happens to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, I can't either, but I'm, you know, I'm definitely going to be thinking about that experience for a long time. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that story can make a lot of other privileged people listening to this mm -hmm. get a feel for it. it. Just, just a little bit. Right. So, and I mean, you know, that's, that yours was an encounter with a guy on a bicycle in the middle of Cary. Right. Like imagine if that same person with the same, like, it, you know, internal monologue and, and feelings like just happens to be a police officer. And then the difference between him encountering you in a situation and him encountering Zan or a black person in a situation, that's so dangerous for the non-white person involved there because the cop has a gun and the cop, you know, the, the problems that these protests are addressing are the facts that, you know, cops just wield this inordinate amount of power. They come into a situation, their training is that they are required to control the situation and to use force in order to do that. And, you know, I've, I've read a number of books. I, I can highly recommend Rise of the Warrior Cop, which is uh, a, a really insightful take on the militarization of police forces over time. And, and it explores kind of how it basically started with the squad car um, as a, a change from community policing, which is now a term that has been co-opted and, and is used more or less as, you know, it sounds like a good thing, but it basically is putting more cops in places where cops shouldn't be. Mm. Community policing, you know, back before squad cars were the main way that cops sort of like interacted with their environment and got from place to place, meant that police officers were part of the community, community would walk around, would talk to the store owners in, in their neighborhoods and stuff, would just chat with people and be a part of the community rather than a, an outside force that comes in in mm -hmm. certain situations right and then there's all sorts of developments over time that include just you know what we see the the police with these you know all this riot gear and quote less lethal weapons that you know because they're called less lethal they are when all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail so we got to get these protesters out of here and i got this tear gas so let's you know, only one solution to this particular problem. Right. I worked as a criminal defense attorney when I graduated from law school. And if a police officer comes up to testify, the judge is going to believe the police officer. Uh, if all it is is the word of a defendant against the police officer, and particularly when that defendant's skin is black, you, there's no chance. Mm. And so all you can do is advise them to plea and that's that's all you can do uh and it's so frustrating the way that this goes up and down the entire justice system and a lot of it starts with cops 
and the accountability is just not there for when these acts of violence are committed. There's the investigation is internal affairs. So it's police officers investigating other police officers. And so not very much accountability there. Civil lawsuits against police departments for abuse. Police officers have something called qualified immunity, which basically means they can't be held individually accountable for things that they do while on duty, except for some very difficult to meet exceptions of constitutional violations. Mm -hmm. So if a cop commits an act of violence that even even if a court determines like yes that was out of line they should this this officer should not have done that and there's damages to be paid for medical expenses punitive damages whatever the cop the, the officer doesn't pay that money that money comes out of a budget and in most places it's not even the police department's budget it just comes from the city or the state or the county or something like that so the the department isn't even accountable on the few occasions when you're able to make a civil claim. So there's just a, a number of systemic problems that make it so difficult to enact any sort of meaningful reform. A lot of times I think about when I was 19 years old, some friends and I went and stayed at my uncle's beach house and, you know, we were doing stupid shit. We were drinking and we went to the pool of the neighborhood that we were in and with we didn't have any alcohol with us at the pool. We just like had been drinking a little bit, went to the pool, swam around for a little bit, got up, started walking away. And then we ran into somebody else like who lived in the neighborhood we said, where y'all going? And we were like, we're going back home. And then she was like, no, y'all ain't. I called the sheriff and he's on his way. And we weren't taking this seriously at all. We we ran back to the, the trailer we were staying at, locked the door, turned all the lights off, kind of went to bed. And then we woke up to sheriff's deputies pounding on the door. Hmm. You know, we were kind of scared. We didn't know what to do. We didn't open the door. Eventually, they just kicked the door in. And then the way that they approached the situation was guns drawn with a German shepherd just like bounding in. Uh, they kicked my friend in the face and handcuffed all of us and you know wrote us tickets the one they took one girl to jail who had had a little too much to drink and was sleeping it off and she was the only one that they arrested and took to jail and none of us could go bail her out because we were 19 and had you know 0.03 blood alcohol content mm. so and you know now looking back on it i'm super concerned for her safety like why did they choose to arrest her like what was the plan there but the main thing that really makes me think about that all the time is we are so lucky that we were a bunch of white kids and the cops were pointing guns at us. Mm. You know, when my, my friend got kicked in the face for, you know, one cop was shouting, put your, put your hands in the air, and the other one was shouting, get down on the ground. So I got down on the ground, which was apparently the right thing. And he put his hands in My the roommate air. put his hands in, his air, in, in the air, so he got kicked in the face. We're sitting on the couch afterward and he, we're, we're just chatting. And at this point, you know, what, what can you do? So we're just kind of joking about it. Uh, we're sitting on the couch in handcuffs and he's like, dude, I got kicked in the face. And I was like, yeah, I saw that. And then a cop like motions him over like with one finger, like, like he's a fucking dog and takes the ticket that he had already written that was just an underage drinking ticket and then added resisting arrest to the ticket. Because he had totally forgotten that he kicked him in the face. 
and then there, there needed to be an explanation for why he kicked him in the face. <laughs> so, like, you know, these are the types of people that we're dealing with, and, like, that situation was awful for me, but we were a bunch of white kids who go to, you know, white university kids from out of town mm. who come in there. We were so shielded by our skin color in that situation. If we were some black kids doing the exact same thing, if we were just the same people but with black skin, I don't know what would have happened. Like, I'm just terrified for the hypothetical black people who are in an identical situation to us when, you know, it started with excessive force. There's no reason to kick the door in and aim guns at a bunch of kids who were swimming in a pool at night. That that's, That is egregious to start with. But... At no point did I feel like they were going to pull the trigger against me. That's just not the same for other people. And and that that's a, a, a thing I think about all the time. And it really, really scares me and it really messes me up. Wow. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I've had my fair share of just bad experience with police officers. And I'm really sympathetic to the concerns of these protests and i hope that we have massive massive systemic change as a result uh, i've signed up for legal observer training and i hope to go out to some of these protests in a role as a legal observer i think that's the best uh function that i can serve because i do have legal training and i i, I would like to help in any way that i can so mm. that's that's going to be what i do anybody who does want to help you know, I don't think anybody should f feel pressured to be a part of the protests. You know, you have to protect yourself. And particularly during the pandemic, there's a lot of concerns. And I don't think it's cowardly to just say I'm, I'm too scared to go out and be a part of these protests. But there are a number of bail funds, uh, a number of Black Lives Matter organizations, a number of individual protest organizers on the ground who need money for things like gas masks and supplies and things like that. So um, I, I would definitely encourage people to donate to those sorts of organizations and they shouldn't be too hard to find uh, if you're on Twitter. Yeah, I definitely recommend looking into those bailout donations. I think that those are a very easy and productive way of helping. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just pay attention. That's a, a lot of what you can do. If you're a white person you know, listen. Um, I've been doing a lot of just trying to pay attention lately. I've also tweeted out some really, I'm extremely angry. Yeah. And so it is hard to not tweet about things, but I'm trying to listen as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a good way of wrapping that up <laughs> and saying like, it's time to talk about magic. It, it, everything feels a little less important when, when these types, you know, relative to this. Yeah. Yeah. But we're here to host a magic show, and yep. we'll we'll continue to do that. Um, but I, you know, I'm I'm happy that we're able to bring some more attention to this. I was a little bummed by Wizards' response to this, mm -hmm. and I I'm sh I know it was well intentioned by the people that did it, but it doesn't seem very thoughtful. You know, they they posted the the black square or whatever, and then they highlighted Cedric and Rashad like kind of their their two black friends it seemed like right. that's what was happening there yeah and and maybe i i should give them more credit than that but it really 
felt like tokenism from a company that has not appeared to make strides towards racial diversity and in particularly towards incorporating and welcoming black people specifically. Yeah. Um, so disappointing. And I think of, I, I hope a fair criticism to level there. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that sort of starts transitioning us to magic. I, a different wizard's announcement. Oh yes. <laughs> we got a pretty wild ban and rule change so right we should we should get into that a bit <laughs> um sorry it's gonna take a second to transition yeah I, i'm no, i'm in a way <laughs> i get it maybe we need to pause and take a breather and come uh, back and talk no, about it if i just start talking it'll that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the best way to get to it probably for sure so the bands were agent of treachery and fires of invention banned in both standard and historic mm-hmm. and kind of the way more broader ranging thing is we got a change to the companion mechanic yes i'm kind of surprised by it i thought that the change would be you just can't companion anymore <laughs> but i was is, hoping <laughs> it is now as a special action during your when you could play a sorcery you can pay three mana once per game to put the companion into your hand mm-hmm. which is weird because the companion reminder text is you may play this card like if this is your companion you may play it once from outside the game which is not what companion does anymore Mm -hmm. but and and it does feel a little inelegant because it's just not reflected anywhere on the cards or anything but it is built into the rule it is now pay three mana put this into your hand so you know raw initial response to that what do you think what do you think this does for companions i i mean so it has a variety of effects on each companion right Mm -hmm. like the more expensive companions get hit less but the cheaper companions like luris get hit more strangely luris has already been banned out of some (laughs) of the formats so it's kind of sad yeah um but i mean yeah it i do think that it is going to remove a lot of the archetypes that have existed prior Mm -hmm. um you know i certainly don't think that you can play obosh anymore Right. The combination of being five mana right. and fitting mostly into aggressive decks yep. makes it that it was maybe hit the hardest by the nerf out of everything. Yeah, I would imagine so. I think Yorion is the one that gets hit the least because you're just pretty fine playing mm-hmm. like eight mana for that effect. Yeah. Because you're trying to make the late the game go late anyways and it's just kind of free. But like the, you know, the Garuda combo decks that we've seen in Legacy, those are dead. I would say, for the most part. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. There's just a little bit of, you know, one. what we saw out of them was the ability to play this Thought Not Seer game mm-hmm. that's inc- was incredibly effective. Yeah. But I think a lot of that came from, like, so many of your hands threatened to turn one Garuda mm-hmm. that, you know, most decks were forced to mulligan to turn zero interaction. You have to get your Force of Will to have a shot right in case they mulligan to a turn one garuda which isn't that hard and then once you have a lot of people like mulliganing to five against you just like having thought not seers and clones ends up being really good there Mm -hmm. if people can have more diverse answers that they can rely on you know now since garuda definitely can't come down turn one pyroblast and swords to plowshares and uh mystical dispute are all legitimate answers to it so people don't need to mulligan nearly as hard 
and that makes the Thought Not Seer clone plan probably not really good enough for Legacy anymore. Yeah, right. And, you know, that concept, I think, is very fundamental to the Thought Not Seer plan looking good, mm-hmm. is that people are kind of bending over backwards to always be scared. And if you can just, like, play your first couple of turns just not worried at all about dying on the spot, yeah. you're going to be a lot better off. Right. So, And, like, a single swords to Plowshares really mucks up the Thought Not Seer clone plan. Right. If you get the Thought Not Seer, then instead of having more Eldrazi, they just have zero zeros. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, swords is just very good against that deck in general. Like, you know, hitting the Garuda with mm-hmm. the trigger on the stack is not yeah. bad. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do think that that deck will go away for the most part. Everything except for Yorion seems pretty much, you know, nerfed out. Right. I mean, I think that, yeah, the aggressive decks that use, like, Luris to add reach mm-hmm. to, to their ability to close out games, they definitely, their companioning has suffered yeah. from this change quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily as true for Jund Luris or something, you know, really mm-hmm. mid-rangey Luris decks. They may be... Certainly, it's a nerf. Certainly, it's better not to have to pay three extra mana. Yeah. But they're more easily able to absorb that sort of cost, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, you're playing a Ren and Six deck and all the cards in your deck cost two or less. Like, you you have mana and it's not going to be as quick or reliable, but it may be still be possible to play Luris and have it be pretty good in a deck like that. Yeah, I, I could imagine so, for sure. Where it's just like, you know... All right, we've ground out the game to the point where I need to start getting value. Let's pop this in my hand, and mm-hmm. next turn we'll get ready to go, or right. whatever. Right. Um, yeah, that doesn't seem terrible. And, I, and we've seen that the deck is pretty fine without Liliana and Bloodbraid Elf, so... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, the the red-black prowess deck, though, I think is going to have a harder time yeah. with, with that. Mm-hmm. It's just lower, much lower on mana resources. And, yeah. and much more reliant on just, like... Casting a, a reasonably early Lurus. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to curve out with interaction and then have your Lurus be a very tempo-positive threat that gets you a bobble or another creature or something like that. Yep. Makes a big difference when you're trying to like squeeze in damage. Yeah. As far as like the standard decks go, the Lurus decks in standard probably get hit pretty hard from yeah. this. Because mm-hmm. playing... It, not that they were particularly performing in this Luka metagame, but it's pretty hard to, in standard, play a deck with no threes or more, and then your payoff for that is like a six-mana total investment. So you're not just going to have that whenever you need it. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's really rough, because you're giving up a lot of powerful spells in standard then. Yeah, I mean, I suspect that those archetypes will still exist, mm-hmm. and will probably even be pretty good, mm-hmm. but we're just not going to be playing Luris, and we're going to be playing... Yeah, go back to Mayhem Devil Mayhem type Devils. decks. Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah, I suspect Mayhem Devil comes back because Mayhem Devil is great. Mm-hmm. It's just not quite as good as a, you know, a Luris. And in those decks, I wonder if it may still be worth playing Obosh just because, like, you lose Priests of Forgotten Gods and not a lot else. Yeah, the two slot is not great, but Priest is phenomenal. Priest and, is really good. In a lot of matchups. Yeah. So. Kind of depends on where the metagame yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's like a lot of like blue-white control and teamer reclamation, then maybe that's not... You're fine not having Priest of Forgotten Gods or right. whatever. Yeah, yeah. So we should also talk about the bans if we're going <laughs> to be talking yeah. about standard. Right. So we lost Agent and, I mean, certainly 
in the immediate moment, that's kind of a big deal because agent right. was going over the top of everything. But losing fires, I think, definitely has the biggest ripple effects for standard going yes. forward. Right. Yeah. Fire effects are done, yep. essentially. And I, I suspect that we're going to be going mostly back to 60 card decks in standard. I don't know if people are going to continue to play Yorion. Like, it's it's probably just fine to play Yorion. Um, it would have been a lot better to play Yorion with fire still, but now that's gone as well. Sure, but the deck that is, like, really fine with playing Yorion mm-hmm. still, you can just play Bant with Nissa's. Okay. And, like, who cares that Yorion is... Like, even if, without a Nissa in play, like, you grow Spiral and Uro enough that you, you hit your mana. Oh, yeah. Like... Being 80 cards is not that... We've seen it's not that big of a drawback. Yeah, no, for sure. So, yeah, right. I mean, I, I do think that Yorion will still exist in some capacity, but uh, with no experience of like what the format looks like and whether or not that deck can mm-hmm. survive that. I, I'm not going to be making any calls on it quite yet, I don't think. No. But, yeah. Yeah. I, I am interested in seeing where the format goes from here. One deck that was not touched was... Team of Reclamation. Yeah, and Team of Reclamation is in, was in this interesting spot where it was always kind of like the second or third best deck the mm-hmm. whole time. Uh, like it was competing with these, you know, pretty powered up companion decks the whole time. Yeah, without ever having a companion. Right. And everything else got banned out. So it just seems like realistic that that is just going to be the best deck now. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see if the format adapts and there's like a lot more mono red to combat that mm-hmm. or if it just starts taking over. Yeah, I the one thing the one thing it does lose is it's generally favored against fires decks. At yeah. least traditional fires decks. Sure. Not as much against the Luka decks, because those decks could play, especially post-board, just like a counterspell heavy game with four shark typhoons and four castle ardenvales and just like be good at that game and also obviously teferi is very good (laughs) um phenomenal card but certain against more traditional fires decks that are not luka decks the reclamation decks were always pretty favored Mm -hmm. and you can certainly build them around teferi if that's the main thing that they're doing to stop you yeah and without that to prey on anymore you know that may take away some percentage from the wilderness reclamation decks but it definitely seems like the most raw, powerful engine that we kind of have left. Yeah. Teferi's definitely an issue, but Shark Typhoon is it's a phenomenal answer against it. So yeah. I, I think that they've definitely learned how to fight through the Teferis. And now, if anything, there's just going to be a higher density of Teferis that less people likely are going to be playing 80 cards. So, Yeah, that's true. There will be more Teferis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely true, just because they'll be back to being four ofs instead of effectively three ofs yeah. in a lot of decks. Um, I mean, one thing that I've seen a lot is, like, disappointment that Teferi did not get banned here. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a hot topic. Is Teferi is one of the more hated cards recently. Yeah. It just invalidates this whole element of magic that, um, you know, people really, you know, want. Especially if their deck revolves around that angle. Mm-hmm. And teferi's just kind of a bully in that sense and yeah this is like okay you know i just have this three mana card that if i resolve your deck is done so it seems like banning that would make sense but they've shown that they just don't want to do that so it's here to stay i am a little afraid that banning teferi would open up a can of worms in you know creating a team of reclamation monster right and potentially 
like, I think that there's a pretty killer flash deck that just can't really deal with Teferi and post-board mystical disputes. Okay. But without Teferi's around, like, the flash deck could be oppressive, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, especially, you just have options to build it now that, you know, you can play a black version and you can put Heartless Act in there and if if creatures are your problem, or you can play Night Pack Ambusher, mm-hmm. or you can play, you know, good old Red with Bonecrusher Giants and stuff. Like, whatever the problems are, you could build the Flash deck around that. Yeah. It's just that all of these versions are bad against Teferi. <laughs> right. And, and there's no way to fix that. Mm-hmm. But when the Flash deck is really good, it, it it can ruin a standard format itself. It certainly can. Yeah, absolutely. So, And I, I think the answer to that is making sure that the Flash deck that exists in standard is not at that level, and it's not printing a card that turns off counters like counterplay at instant speed for everybody when it's in play. Yeah. But given what exists in standard, you know... You did, I, I, you might be opening a Pandora's box by banning Teferi out of it. Right. So, possibly. I, I, I can't make that call for certain or anything. Yeah. Yeah, and and in anything, if anything, I think that the Team of Reclamation is kind of like the Flash deck of the format. Mm. Um, but it just has more resiliency against sure. stuff like Teferi. But. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. You're not just stuck with, like, weird flash creatures that don't do anything right. when you have to cast them during your main phase. Yeah. yeah. I have also definitely seen a lot of criticism that this just doesn't go far enough generally. Mm. That standard has been so bad for a while now, and there's way more stuff to blame than just yeah, Asian of Treachery out of the fire's deck. Yeah, Asian of Treachery is, like, the boogeyman right now, mm-hmm. but the real problems are it feels like most of them are still there yeah luca has people have just kind of figured out that luca is insane and i don't know if that changes too much because eventually there's gonna be somebody who figures out that like oh this is just the next huge thing that we want to put in and it's very very good yeah we did some looking into what the huge things are left in standard and definitely none of them come like within spitting distance of agent of treachery yeah like the biggest like standalone creature that kind of like wins games on its own is dream trawler mm-hmm. so you're getting a one mana discount there right and i mean it is putting like two threats into play <laughs> but that's yeah not like you you had to warp your deck like pretty significantly to sure. do this yeah yeah and you you're never getting that payoff that giant payoff turn of like luca make an eight make a whatever yorian blink the agent steals like yeah, th- this yeah, isn't yeah. A, a play pattern that you get access to anymore right. you know the other giant thing is like Endray's forerunners <laughs> but it just isn't enough if yeah and when you're sacrificing like Endray's forerunners kind of asks you to have a wide board mm-hmm. and when you're like sacrificing a creature to do that and then you're restricted on how many creatures you can play in your deck yeah it just doesn't it doesn't seem like it lines up. Right. I mean, there's a world where it's like, oh, you're a token deck and, and Luca gets an overrun. Sure. But that would be... I'd, I'd be really interested in that if Enray's forerunners were Crater Hoof Behemoth. But <laughs> if it won the game every time, right. <laughs> then maybe. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, gave a meaningful pump. Turning your 1-1s into 3-3s for one combat step. Yeah. Like, a lot of times what that happens is, like, a couple of blocks that aren't great for your opponent, and then they cast a removal spell, and then you just have, like, a couple of tokens left over. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're not it's kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, it just kind of reminds me, and, like, this 
there's a pretty big difference between these scenarios just based on the cards. Mm -hmm. But it reminds me of when they banned um, Oracle the Promised End Mm -hmm. and not Aetherworks Marvel. Yeah. And then they're just like, all right, I'm still going to Aetherworks Marvel with just the other big fatty in the format. Right, because we still have both Luca and Winota. Right. And Winota not really hasn't seemed to be really able to keep up in in best of three but Mm -hmm. took over day one of the arena open and warped the entire thing around itself and we should also talk about historic a little bit there Mm -hmm. talking about winota yeah the winota deck in historic it doesn't use agent of treachery didn't ever use agent of treachery and was the best deck anyways (laughs) what was it's like the double damage yeah so it's angras marauders Uh uh-huh which I, I think that's the name. That's a four four that doubles the damage that your your stuff deals, right. and then gets Hactos. And mm-hmm. so they come in attacking, and Hactos is like big and unblockable. So that does twelve. And Grass Marauders, if it hits, does another eight. But even mm-hmm. if it doesn't, like, and then you have all your other stuff attacking, right, right. Yeah. right. And yeah, so that it was just very fast, and it made use of like the fact that you can attack with Arboreal Grazer, mm-hmm. you can attack with Gilded Goose, and you know get triggers off of Winota. Mm-hmm. So and, yeah, it, right. Like, I've heard that that is just the deck in Historic right now, mm-hmm. and it's silly to me that, like, the most popular and highest win percentage deck just didn't get touched at all. Right. With this, like, has that ever happened before in a format? When, when there are, if bands do happen and it's right. not from the best And they just, deck. like, whiff on the, yeah. like, imagine if they just, like, whiffed on team or energy. Because well, <laughs> this like... isn't, this isn't really a historic ban the way that we, like, sure. picture that. Like, the philosophy yeah, yeah. is, like, man, this really messed up standard, so mm. let's not let it be in historic, okay. because okay. historic is not that much higher power level. Yeah, yeah. But... Yeah, given the way that people were actually cheating creatures in and the fact that it's not this, mm-hmm. it does feel a little bit weird. Um, I have heard from Evan that Mono Red does beat up the Naya Winota deck okay. pretty handily. So there may be some churn available. There. At least there's a Predator. Yeah. As far as standard goes, you know, additional bands, band possibilities that people have talked about. You know, we got rid of one of the mana doublers, but we still have two available to us. Yeah. And standard has really just rotated around the doublers for, you know, since the printing of Nyssa. Yeah. And it seems silly not to just build your deck around one of those, at least to start with, and then maybe metagame if if that isn't working, but... Right, yeah. No, I mean, you know, mana doublers have historically just been very, very powerful mm-hmm. as long as they are, you know, five or less mana, so. Well, they put Marari's Wake into Historic, mm-hmm. and the joke was, like, yeah, Marari's Wake is, like, the original, like, kind of, you know, shrouded in the mists of history mana doubler, and it's yeah. just the fourth best mana doubler in right. Historic. <laughs> well, hilarious. Now it's the third. Okay, well, there you go. Exciting. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, so a lot of changes that happened there, and it, you know, based on my understanding of the formats, it, I just feel like they kind of bricked. But we'll see. We'll see how it pays out. Yeah, I don't I think, think historic has gotten the level of exploration to really like make the metagame focused the way that a, a truly developed yeah. one gets. And we just don't have the data for historic that yeah. we do for standard. Like I don't know how or if. Wizards keeps track of any historic bands through Arena. I mm-hmm. doubt it. Um, but there just, like, hasn't been a lot of tournaments. There have been more recently, but mm-hmm. it's not, like, you know, and 
you can't just like go to goldfish and like get a bunch of historic decks. Right. My my source for data about historic is just what people choose to put on Twitter. Right. Yeah. Twitter is like the best thing that you can do for for information about historic. Yeah. Um. And that's not great. And I wouldn't suspect that Wizards is extremely tuned into that. Mm-hmm. So, I kind of get it that they like aren't really paying that much attention to it. Yeah. So. One other thing to talk about here, rather than the substance of the bands, is the timing of how all of this worked out. Mm-hmm. And I, it just feels like one of the least player-friendly ways they could have possibly pulled this off. We're talking about, like, the Thursday implementation? Yeah, well, I mean, start with the fact that it's an announcement of the announcement coming. <laughs> so we know that we're playing fake standard, right? fake historic. Right. And kind of fake everything, given that there are going to be changes to Companion in a week. Mm-hmm. So for a week, we're playing... All of our formats are dead horse... Are, 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 uh, lame duck? Lame duck formats. Yeah. And that feels kind of bad. But at least the mystery of what the ban will be makes it so that we don't, like, know that this stuff won't exist in the future <laughs> or something like that. So, right, right, right. Like, I can kind of deal with that. The fact that the ban announcement happens... And then they say, oh, by the way, this isn't actually getting implemented until Thursday. Yeah, why wait until Thursday if we already had a week of a lame duck format? Right. And then they're like, okay, another week of a lame duck format. It's so bizarre. Yeah. I just have no... I I was actually excited. Mm -hmm. I knew that the announcement was happening on Monday. Yeah. My plan was come home, get on Arena play whatever the new standard is with the new companion rules and see what's happening. And I was kind of pumped to do that. Yeah. And that's just like took all the wind out of my sails for that. I, I have to wait several days. And people are preparing for a PT in like two weeks. Right. They have eight days now. Right. The, the, the change is announced on Monday. We know what it is. Three more days, Thursday... Now you can finally play it on Arena. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have a weekend and a week to prepare for a PT. It's not a lot. That sucks. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, it is better for the established players. Mm -hmm. I know that, like, our team definitely thrives in that environment because we can just, like, play against each other, get into the trenches and play against each other and, like, stuff like that. But, yeah, it's just not, like, a very player-friendly environment in general yeah and it, it definitely punishes a lot of people who are relying on getting their practice in on arena why would anybody play standard or historic on arena right now you yeah you just me. know it's not a real format and you know exactly why like if you log in and you get on ladder and somebody goes fires of invention luca agent of treachery you just you're just gonna log off <laughs> You know they're right. not allowed to do that, but yeah. for some reason they are for the next couple of days. Well, yeah, gotta grind. Like, Wizards determined that this wasn't okay mm-hmm. on Thursday. Like, it's not okay starting Thursday. I wonder, I, you know, I'm just, like, trying to figure out what happened behind the scenes to make this a reality. And I wonder if, like, they announced that they're going to change things last week, but then they didn't figure out how or, you know, what they're going to change until like pretty close to the announcement mm-hmm. and then they like had to hand that off to the developers, the developers and, and they say just... implement this and they're yeah. like all right well we need until thursday to do that like but, you know that could be how it ended up going down but i just i just feel like you could have seen that coming yeah i mean that's the most logical explanation to me but it feels really bad so yes no it certainly does for sure 
And, and, you know, they're not transparent about it in any way. Like, we don't know why there's a weak gap between announcing that there will be a ban and then what the ban is. Yeah. I feel, but kind of, like, why, though? Like, would it hurt, you know, to tell tomorrow us what's going to, on? to be like, hey, you know, we made this decision on Saturday and handed it off and the developers told us that they couldn't get this through and, and that's the reality that we're living in. And I feel like that could just, like, easily be like, all right, you know, we get it, like, it sucks, and we're sad about it, but, you know, we're not angry. Yeah. But they're just like, this is how it is. And then and then they sit back, and then they're like, and we're all like, well, come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> this is lame. Wait. And I don't understand why. Um, yeah, I would I would love some more transparency, but, yeah. you know. Doesn't seem some, like something that we're super likely to get, but, oh well. Shrug. Um, all right, so my third topic here is, I guess we can talk about our legacy tournament, question mark? Yeah, we should. The topic was sweet. Yeah. In my mind. We had I, cool decks. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed our, like, top four into finals deck archetypes. Mm-hmm. Because the storyline was that at the top of our bracket, we had Gairuda versus Death and Taxes. Mm-hmm. The old versus the new. Yeah. And then at the bottom of our bracket, we had Gairuda versus... Just Rug Delver. Mm-hmm. Uh, also the old versus the new. Yeah. And and I, like, at the time I was like, I would really love to see, like, both of the new decks make it and we'll have Garuda Finals or both of the old decks make it. Mm-hmm. We just have, like, the the most classic right. Legacy Finals Delver ever. versus yeah, we, Death and Taxes. Yeah, we're going back. Yeah. It, like, Delver versus Death and Taxes is, is a classic. And as it happened, the Garuda decks won both mm-hmm. of their matches and, and gave us a... just about the least watchable finals that you could possibly the get. mirror is something else but i i was kind of reveling in it because i was like this is awesome we get a garuda mirror and I, you just like know that this is not going to exist after monday yeah you know so that was kind of cool i was like i don't feel like the sky is falling because i know that there's the ban announcement mm-hmm. on the next day and i kind of get to just be excited about like Ooh, this guy's on the play and he's gonna crush it you know <laughs> yep and, and uh, the that, player on the play won every game yeah this is my surprised face so. <laughs> that, that that match was about seven turns total right i do yeah and like you know just kind of watching like looking at the opening hand of the player on the draw it's just a turn one kill and it's just not good and enough. he just dies yeah. <laughs> it was like oh yeah of course he's playing a mirror the opponent's also gonna have a turn one kill yeah <laughs> i it, it was fine for one match, but I'm really glad that that right. is not what Legacy is going to be about. Yeah, yeah. Um, the I, I do love the sideboarding with the deck for the mirror, which is just like, there's way too many clones in this deck, because I get way more looks at clones when I'm looking at your deck, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So both players take out a bunch of clones. Yeah, because you just don't need them. Yeah, why? Yeah, no. Very silly. Um, but... So yeah, like Belcher being like a flash in the pan thing and very, very good, but only for one event. Yeah. And then, you know, the players who pull the trigger on going for it, because it, it wasn't clear that that was the best deck moving in. I heard a, a lot, lot of good players really did not like mm-hmm. it. All of my teammates told me that it was just bad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, I like I was kind of try to try it out or whatever. But they were like, no, I think that Reanimator is just like the better Belcher deck. Yep. But, you know, the players who did play it and, and pulled the trigger on that got paid, got, got paid off. And I just, you know, I like seeing that. And I like seeing that alongside it's fine. It's like now that it's out in the open, it's just gone. 
and it's not going to like be a, a really lame whole tournament where like all we see are Gyruda yeah mirrors yes. like like that would like tournament number two of people understanding that Gyruda is actually just really good mm-hmm. not so fun yeah it's kind of a disaster <laughs> and there aren't like I can't really think of ways to address it if you know you're going into like a Garuda infested metagame like what do you even play like this is a deck that mulligans the turn one kills all the time right so (laughs) if if it wasn't naturally being kept in check by just the existence of force of will decks and pyroblasts and graph diggers cages that people were like leaning a little more heavily towards like how much does legacy have to warp to check this deck right yeah for sure we definitely need to talk about the sweetest deck in our top eight. There were several sweet decks throughout this whole tournament, but yeah, we should we should start with the sweetest deck in our top eight. Yeah, so this is uh, Lin Chalice, top eighted with an 80-card Yorion Snow Control deck that registers, registered zero Okos and four Dak Fadens, mm-hmm. and it looked nice. Uh, he <laughs> went 9-0 in the Swiss, yeah. and unfortunately lost to one of the Garuda decks in the top eight. Mm-hmm. But just putting together the Dak Faden synergy package with graveyard payoffs and Oko and Punishing Fire, and then like putting together a Dak Punishing Fire, you're just drawing like an insane number of cards every turn. Basically like uses Dak plus Punishing Fire as just this massive card drawing engine. And then you also have Uro just as an incidental payoff for for looting a lot. And the Dak's offset the size of the deck because you can really find your sideboard cards and stuff if you're just you know drawing three discarding two every turn even when you don't have punishing fire going Mm -hmm. and also the uh i have just emblemed my deck fade in and now i have punishing fires in my hand to steal anything with is really cool no yeah i mean that was great and we saw that play out pretty excitingly against hogak yes and that was a lot of fun yeah kind of unbelievable that he won game one against yeah. Hogak. Well, Evan just... and I were joking about it outside yeah. and we were like, uh, what are the percent like what's the win percentage here with like five percent to win for <laughs> the four color player? And then he just wins game one yeah. and, and two. Well drew the one of Pyroblast, mm. got the Hedron Crab on turn one with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh turn like forced the the Stitcher supplier and then the Hogak deck, you know, still did Hogak stuff. Sure. But just like a turn too late each time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely crucial interaction pieces there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, allowing that deck fade into ultimate with Punishing Fire. You can't do anything you, at that you point. Just, you just love to see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, really, really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely fell in love with that deck in the Hogak match that we watched and was pretty bummed that we didn't get to watch it more in the top eight. Yeah, no, for sure. Other sweet decks we saw, the... Vile, Esper Vile deck yeah. was really sweet. We saw Julian Nab mm-hmm. running that as well as a couple of other players. I just really like the concept of that deck. It's just like a marriage of like the blue cards and the fun creatures. It looks like such a mess from the other side of the table, like the first time that you see it. Oh, yeah. I remember my first experience and I was not expecting to get Force of Wills. Right. So. This like <laughs> Brainstorm, Swords to Plowshares, Baleful Strix, Ether Vile, Force of Will deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recruiter of the Guard. <laughs> like, like you see several cards and you're like, oh, we're playing against Death and Taxes with an Underground C in play. Yeah, that doesn't check out, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that was that was really fun to see, um, and we definitely had a couple of those players have deep runs in the event. Mm-hmm. 
Also, we saw some humans builds, which I loved. A couple different ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there was just Azorius humans. Mm-hmm. That was like kind of leaning more into the blue cards and had force will and everything. Yeah, and then there well, was... it barely. It had, <laughs> I think it hit exactly thirteen cards, which is like the bare minimum that you need to run force of will. Right. Well, you can count the other force wills. So well, know. yeah, ex- exactly. So you only need the nine other blue cards. But right. That's right. what that's what forces you to run a couple of wing crafters in the list. Got to get there. Yep. So that was that was cool. Uh, and then just like the other like more. Like, I'll call it stock, but I just don't think that... There's you, a stock there's, legacy human stock. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. This is just, like, five colors, just playing everything. And and General Kudro mm-hmm. was pretty impressive. I mean, yeah. the main place we saw it was against Anurag playing lands. Yeah. And it just really crushed any ability that he had to get back into the game <laughs> by, like, get the Ura out of the graveyard, get that tabernacle that I wastelanded out of your graveyard. Yeah. Like, you don't have tools anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. General Kuda having that other flavor, like, you know, trinket text. text. Yeah. I mean, it's not trinket text when it's exiling cards from the graveyard no, it, it's, in it, the lands matchup. It's very good. So, um, yeah, that was cool to see. And, you know, I, I just loved kind of everything about that tournament. There was like a lot of, there was like new stuff that was powerful and fun to watch. Mm-hmm. In Gairuda, there was a bunch of like fun and interesting decks of like a lot of different varieties with human stuff and mm-hmm. the like some of the weird four color decks. Yeah. And then there was also just like legacy stuff that we've always had. Yeah. Lands, Reanimator, mm-hmm. Delver, Death and Taxes. Right. It's all still there. I did love our Reanimator match that we got on camera. It was, <laughs> it was about perfect. Two turns long. Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't need to like take up a lot of time with this, but here's Reanimator. Okay. And now we'll watch, what was it? A Lands, a lands Mirror. mirror. <laughs> so. Perfect round. Most, I believe most people forgot that the primary feature <laughs> match that round was not that Bland's mirror. Yeah, it's our sanity. Moving on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I just had a blast covering it. I love Legacy. Hopefully we can have more Legacy in the future. Legacy really did look like the best magic format Yeah, as we were right. watching it. It wasn't dominated by companions, but it had a healthy amount of companions. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was... Yeah. Getting rid of Luris was was helpful, for sure. Right, yeah, step one. I also want to point... So there were a couple of different lands builds. Anurag played... You know, I, I, all, all the lands builds have blue in them now. But um, Anurag played Sultai lands with both Uro and Oko. Mm-hmm. And Casey Lancaster played no Oko lands with just, f- like, four Uros in it. Mm-hmm. And... You know, you can't draw conclusions from sample sizes of this magnitude, but, you know, Casey did not do very well. Anurag did do well. I do think generally I just want Oko in my deck if I can do it. I agree. Um, you know, Uro's definitely phenomenal mm-hmm. and, and a, a huge add to that deck, but uh, I definitely like Anurag's build of just like, yeah, I'm playing Yorian and eight cards and I, I'm just playing all of the good stuff, mm-hmm. so... Um, yeah. And I mean, Oko is not at its best in lands. You don't have extra stuff lying around to, to elk up, mm-hmm. but it's, it's still Oko in legacy. <laughs> like, it, yeah, it's still just a, a must answer threat and will win you most games. It resolves and yeah. sticks around. So. And like, it gives you a fighting chance against reanimator game one. Sure. Like that's a thing that you can do is just turn to Oko and like keep stopping their threats. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's huge for sure. Um, it shuts off a lot of the reanimator angles, mm-hmm. which is pretty solid. Yeah, so definitely. 
I don't know, any other legacy stuff that you were thinking of? We didn't see really any combo outside of Garuda. There was a little bit of Ant, but didn't particularly perform. Um, yeah. Combo seems to be kind of re- shunted to the side right now. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's that well positioned. I was rooting for Daniel D'Amato. Mm-hmm. Um, in, Playing in his in the backseat of a car, driving. Yeah, driving <laughs> back from the SpaceX launch. Um, that's just a good story. So I was I was definitely rooting for him, but didn't 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 end up happening. Yeah. Do we want to talk at all about our invitational yeah, sure. players? Do yeah. We want to just go over. Yeah. Those why don't people? we go over the list? Yeah, definitely. So you know, this, it is the end of the Lotus Box season one. So we do have our qualified players finishing in first place for the season, and the, the top four all get buys. So mm-hmm. one through four, we've got Nick Price, Stephen Dykeman, Abe Stein, and uh, Sandoich. Made the top four. Mm -hmm. Um, And then going from there, the qualified players who do not have a buy, but still, this was not easy. Most of these players have multiple top eights. Right. So, you know, have done extremely well over a series of four tournaments. So um, we've got Caroline Cavanaugh, Robert Stanley, uh, Piper Powell, Nathan Stoyer, Ryan Donkin, who was our modern champion, and then I think picked up three points from this tournament, but skipped the first two, and that was just enough to get him in here. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, Dylan Hand, Ian Cormick, and then Gavin Bennett just snuck in with like a very workman-like, just <laughs> multiple X1s and an X2. Um, or, or multiple X2s and an X3. Yes. So so right. no, no top eights, mm-hmm. but just like played consistently and did consistently quite well. So you love to see it. So that was kind of how, that was what we wanted out mm-hmm. of our design for the point structure. Yeah. Is that we wanted to reward the players who just put up consistently good finishes. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, it was definitely cool to see a player sneak in with no top eights, but just like every single tournament was up there and close. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, seemed, seemed perfect. Um, really love to see that. Also really love to see two women in our Invitational. Yeah, and I, I don't. I wonder how much the, like, online environment contributes to just it being more accessible Mm -hmm. to people who get pushed out of more traditional Magic tournaments. I don't know. Like, I don't have that experience. But, uh, you know, it's cool to see how there were women rising to the top here. And I'm excited to be featuring them at the Invitational. Um, I know that Piper's success has largely come online. Mm-hmm. She's been doing really, really well in just like a lot of Pioneer Magic Online tournaments. Yeah. Um, and I was not familiar with her before that in the past, you know, several months. Um, I mean, she may have accomplishments that I'm just not aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Caroline has had a lot of success on the GP level. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't really know if there's any like particular thoughts we can draw from it. I mean, obvi- obviously, like two women qualifying out of 12 people is still like not the ratio that we want like it's yeah we need we would love a, a higher uh percentage like for sure but like we we want to get to a point where like it's not particularly surprising like oh this one has 10 women and two dudes in it like sure right that once we're there then <laughs> we'll then we've like reached some some amount of equality but yeah 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 so i'm pretty excited for this invitational i am doing some prep work and trying to set up interviews with our players. I really kind of want to get sort of their faces and their words out there. I want to make some just really quick interview hype videos for each player and put them up on Twitter and just kind of make sure everybody knows who our players are. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, yeah, should be a lot of fun. Yeah. 
I, I, I may be cutting off a little more work than I can chew with this, but well, hopefully we can spread out some of the editing responsibilities yeah. and, and get some stuff, some neat stuff cut together. So Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. Uh, so that tournament is not going to be until July 5th, um, right? That's the date for it? I think so. I believe. it's So it's going to be just a little bit after the new corset release. Mm-hmm. So standard is going to be shaken up. And yeah, it should be really, really fun. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very, very fresh formats. Yeah. Like, like three day fresh formats. Yeah. So, um, well, no, they have a little more time than that oh. to prepare because it, it, I believe the set actually comes out on Arena like eight days before our tournament. Oh, perfect. Okay, so cool. I, I think our players should have a, a pretty healthy amount of time to, to prep. So, um, yeah, but, but like more than this PT, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so yeah, super excited about that. Super excited to bring some some fresh formats, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it should be a blast. Yeah, I mean, it's just going to be a bunch of good players playing against each other, mm-hmm. and hopefully, you know, bringing some creative decks or at least play- bringing some good decks, which is also yeah. very fine. Definitely um, double elimination bracket with a cut to top four, and then the top four they are going to play best of three, best of three matches, like in the players championship. Yep. Uh, I believe we have set ourselves up for a pretty long day. Yes, but it's okay. Yeah, we can we can live with that. For it. Yeah, and I, I don't think that it will be as grueling as the PC was because yeah, people will be at home. You know, you can chill out and eat your food and be in your pajamas. So right, um, I think that it should be fine. Yeah, I hope so. I, I, I well, it's really important to me that our players enjoy this tournament it should be a reward for like beyond just like here's some extra money (laughs) like i would i would like the experience itself to be a reward Mm -hmm. for consistently attending and doing well in our tournaments yeah because definitely yeah so another thing that we are doing is so we are not having tournaments for the until that invitational but what we are going to do is we're going to figure out how much we can do some coverage of these pts uh, at the very least, we're going to sort of bird Zan's PT and do oh, commentary yeah. on that. Mm-hmm. That uh, sounds sweet. And because there's just no reason not to. There's no PT coverage we're competing with. We, we, like Zan's going to be on his computer. We might as well put him on stream with the delay and just mm-hmm. talk about it. Love it. So we're going to do that and maybe get some of the other Lotus Box team members. And hopefully we can reach out and find some other people to cover but i'm not totally sure how that process is going to go but uh at least the first pt weekend we will have a stream up and we'll be doing some amount of coverage so yeah it's not just going to be if you want to see any of the pt there will be some available to you great perfect we're doing our best we are doing our best we'll see how it goes (laughs) but I'm, i'm still it should be a lot of fun yeah for our patreon question of the week this week shane asks us do you find it hard to focus on magic in extremely stressful times like this? Do you think it's worth it to focus on magic in times like this? Yeah, so I really think that this answer is going to vary on the individual. Mm-hmm. Personally, I have in the past used magic as an escape mm-hmm. from stressful situations in my life. And, you know, whether or not that's, like, the healthiest thing is, yeah. is, like, another conversation. I think that also depends on the situation. But if you are looking for an escape and and magic is that for you and you think that's, like, the best way to approach your situation and your stress, it can be 
an excellent tool mm. in that regard. But also, you know, on the other side of the coin, um, and I'm just pe- speaking about my own experience, I've been playing a lot less Magic lately since I haven't been competing in any tournaments. Same. And it's been really good for my <laughs> mental health. Uh, it's just allowed me to take a step back and have some clarity about uh, all the things I'm doing. And uh, I think it's allowing me to make some more informed decisions about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And that has also been really good for me. Sure. So, you know, I think it's definitely going to depend on each person and each, like, circumstance. You know, if you're looking for an escape, I think it can be an excellent tool for that. Mm-hmm. But also, sometimes it, it just, like, you know, tunneling into something and, and not thinking about everything is not what you need to be doing. And you need to be, like, taking a step back and, like, really taking a look at the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a balance to be had. You cannot just be on Twitter all day looking at what's going on. Right, right. At some point, it is not healthy to be doing that. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's not healthy to be doing that because at some point you just re- want to respond to every tweet with, like, how does that boot taste? <laughs> but, you know, it like it, it gets overwhelming at a certain point of time. And I, I think that there is a weird like misunderstanding of self-care that has popped up where Mm -hmm. like it is important to take care of yourself and it is important to check in with your own mental health and keep yourself able to respond to things that happen in a healthy way there's like a definition of self-care that has arisen which is like fuck everybody else yeah like you know it's self-care to like you know just like the the things that have been described as self-care when you take them to an extreme, like, have descended in many cases into selfishness. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a way that you can check out playing video games, and right. you can check out playing Magic, and you can just be like, I can't deal with these protests, I'm just gonna, like, jam a Coria drafts all day. Mm-hmm. And that certainly is not the correct response to stressful situations, whether it is something happening on a large social scale, right. or if you are personally having stress and you're just like, I can't deal with this, I'm going to play Magic for 12 hours. Yeah, yeah. Well, then you're going to feel physically ill and the stress thing is still going to be there. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. And when I speak to escapes, I'm, you know, I think escapes are like a tool that should be part of your daily life. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't encompass your life. Right. So, And you should not feel guilty for... If, if you're enjoying magic, you should not feel guilty for taking a couple of hours and playing magic if that right. makes your day better. Yeah. Like, if you're having fun, fun is not, like, a waste of time, certainly. It, it It is hard. Like, I have checklists of things to do each day, and sometimes I, you know, I can't just, like, go through every single task on the checklist and just get them all done before I do anything relaxing or fun. Mm-hmm. But even then, it is hard to, like, forgive myself Sometimes for like, I just need to go watch an episode of Community right now or something like that. Yeah, you need, you know, people need breaks. Yeah, and, and the, you know, for me, and now we're getting like way astray from the question <laughs> here. But for me, sometimes like taking breaks because I have uh, attention difficulties, and so uh-huh. for me, it's very easy to chain taking breaks into like not getting anything done for the rest mm-hmm. of the day. Yeah, right, and you know, I have a very complicated relationship with that because the like myth of productivity culture is something that i have 
deep disagreements with mm. and there's all these like complicated emotions surrounding that but also like I need to finish writing my opinion that I'm drafting for work. Like, that's non-negotiable. So I need to just do that. Right, right, right. For sure. So, you know, I guess to back up to the question itself, if you are finding it difficult to focus on magic when there are large, stressful social situations like this, and if it stops being fun, like, please put it down. Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes for me, magic is stressful. Yeah. If I'm trying to figure out a format and I'm not doing a good job of it, or if I'm just not having fun playing because the you know I'm not playing a good deck and I can't figure out one or something like that, there are times when I'll play for two hours and I'll realize like I didn't have fun during any of that, and like that's a real problem. So yeah. check in with yourself, make sure that you're having fun, and if you are, then yeah, it's okay. If you aren't and it's hard to focus on magic, like that is also okay. Mm-hmm. Just Take care of yourself there. Yeah. And also just, you know, everybody take care of yourself in general. And I think that was a good time for that message. Yeah. And, and you know, look out for other people who, not not that people necessarily need to be taken care of, but, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. look out for other people and, and do what you can to help them. Be a part of a support network. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I'm definitely not telling, definitely not saying get out there and get tear gassed. If you are not comfortable with that. That is okay. Yeah. But there are things you can do to help and there are lists of resources online and it's not hard to find them. Yeah. So I I would love it if any, if anybody listens to this podcast and then goes and does something helpful that they would not have done, then I feel good about having done this podcast. Yeah. So I I feel the same way. Cool. Um, Yeah. Thanks everybody so much for listening. We really, really appreciate it. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Podcast is at MTG underscore Grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. Thanks again for listening and have a great week. Peace.